mais um Max da Bordeaux. Hello everyone, this is Ari in the Air, welcome back to the podcast. Stoked you're here. I am pretty tired because for the last 10 days I've been in Southern Oregon at a paragliding competition and like anything that I do for 10 days in a row makes my mind churn and paragliding is such an interesting way to change your perspective and this week was no different. I've been thinking about a lot of things and using paragliding as a metaphor. So this is not just a paragliding specific podcast. If you're not a paraglide pilot, perfect. I'm going to describe to you what I'm talking about and then tell you how it relates. So we're going to listen to a little Nightmares on Wax here and I'm going to get into it. If you're listening to the show, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash in the air. Or you can make a donation at paypal.me slash area in the air. Really appreciate that. So, without further ado, a little nightmare on wax, and we'll get right into this. school bus the school bus is full of adults it's also full of these really big backpacks each adult has a really big backpack and the school bus winds its way up through a mountain road in a forest big pine trees on either side and a steep incline that drops away from the road on one side As you drive up, you see not once, not twice, but on three different occasions, cars have gone off the side, tumbled into the tall trees to their final resting place. People have come by and, of course, used those cars as target practice or banged the windows out of them, but they're still there. The bus continues to bumble up this dusty gravel road. And at some point, you reach the top of the mountain. When you get out of the bus, you see there's so many more adults just like you with these huge, funny backpacks. Each adult is carrying a 
auxiliary backpack, a much more normal size one, but it looks quite heavy. All the adults find a place on the top of the mountain in this big, what is essentially a big gravel parking lot on top of this mountain. And they take the things in their gigantic backpacks out and they start laying them out. These big giant backpacks contain paragliders. And shortly, all 150 of these adults with these magical backpacks will set up their backpacks and transform them into aircraft. And then soon after that, all of these 150 adults will be children in the sky flying these funny aircraft, the world's slowest aircraft. And it's ironic because they're going to take the world's slowest aircraft and they're going to race them. As the adults launch off the hill, one after the other, they gather in columns of rising air. As the ground heats up, it creates a thermal that the hot air rises like a hot air balloon in the shape of a column or a bubble, and the paragliders will gather in these columns. They'll do circles after circles, after circles, after circles in this rising air. And the rising air will take them higher and higher and higher over the mountain. At some point, the vast majority of the 150 pilots will all be in the same cloud of paragliders together. It's like a gaggle of geese, but we're all flying in circles. We're all in very close proximity to one another, and so we're trying not to run into each other, but we're all vying for position at the top. We all want to be at the very, very top of this thing so we have the most altitude, so that when the timer finally dings, we're as high and as far as we can to start the race course. Now, you can imagine, as you've been a human your whole life and have lived in a world, although very different from my experience, you have certainly witnessed competition professionally, familially, and likely in sport. Paragliding is a very unique way to compete because at the end of the day, we are playing with nature. We are surfing the Aina. We're surfing the atmosphere. We are subject to it going up, it going down, and its winds, and its trees, and its mountains, and all of these things. We're limited by our fragile bodies. We are 
having to tune into these things. And we're all doing this on our own, but we're also doing it collectively. And it's this intersection of our collective and individual struggle that is so interesting to me. So, the first thing that I noticed as I started flying in a gaggle again, as a paraglide pilot, it's rare that you fly in a gaggle outside of a competition because we're just all spread out here across the American West as we all try to fly off our local mountains and fly as far as we can, and maybe with a friend or two is as best as we usually get, but 150 pilots on the same mountain at the same time is something that's reserved pretty much exclusively for competition. The nature of competition makes that an interesting place to try to collaborate in such a visceral way, inhabit the same space with so many other people, while also vying for the top position. So, my intuition about this is that, or I guess, it's more like a thesis. My question, my hypothesis My hypothesis here is, what is the relationship between competition and cooperation? How much should you focus on making sure that you achieve and succeed as a way to rise the tide for the rest of humanity? And how can our perspective of success and our perspective of achievement change to help facilitate a more equitable future? Hmm. These are my hypotheses. So, Technically speaking, when you're flying in a gaggle like this, you are essentially balancing two things. You are balancing your own desire to go up and be at the top with the limiting factor that you obviously can't control the wind and you're subject to the same air mass that everyone else is in the same space and you don't want to crash into them. You don't really want to crash into them because that can kill you. But also, you don't really want to like cut them off drastically because of the social bounds that bind us here, as well as there's this thing that we are when we are in a gaggle. Essentially, what's happening is that if I'm flying a paraglider and you are as well, and you're say, 500 feet to one side of me, and you start going up rapidly, I'm going to immediately change my course to go towards where you are. Because if you are in an air mass that's going up a lot more than my air mass, that means that I'm going to change my direction to go over to the air mass that you're in so that I can go up. 
So we are all indicators for each other to guide each other towards the air that's rising the most. Okay. And this is a form of collective intelligence. This is a form of collective intelligence. You can imagine that if I work hard to find the air that's rising the most and fly my best inside of that air to make it take me up as much as I can, then you will have the best idea possible as to what the air mass is doing and you can make better decisions on your own as to how to take advantage of that as well. This is a compounding effect because if you have a hundred people doing this, then we all have great indications as to where we can move, where we can fly, and how to fly in the air that's going to lift us the most. If I am not trying my best, if I am merely following everyone else, if I am just following because I don't want to get in the way, then when the air starts really rising and I don't alter my course, then I'm not really helping this hive, this, this brain. We refer to the gaggle as the brain. And if I'm not flying my best, if I'm not going out of my way to really maximize my climb, then no one else can see where that air is and they're going to have to maximize it themselves without seeing it. If I just follow everyone else, what they're doing, then I'm not contributing to the collective intelligence that is the brain. This is a very interesting analogy because I think we get into this in society so much where we just end up following and we're not actually pursuing our own dharma, our own purpose in life, our own passions, our own intuition. There's so many different forces that act on us that help us guide, that help guide us in our lives. And we don't usually, we don't usually think of ourselves as indicators for other people as to how they can maximize their lives and how they should follow their passions, their dharma, their intuition. What we end up doing is we end up teaching each other through public education, through all kinds of different cultural and social norms that it's more important to fall into line than it is to follow your own path. So the analogy in paragliding where we both want to follow our own path and avoid knocking other people off of their path is of rich import here. Because it seems to me that, technically speaking, if I'm flying in this hundred-person gaggle, I'm in the brain, and I fly through a piece of lift that's really strong, and I just, with reckless abandon, turn really, really hard to stay in it, 
Well, then I swing around through the middle of the circle and then I'm on a crash course with another pilot. If that pilot has to make a hard turn outside of the gaggle to avoid crashing into me, well, I've just knocked them off of their path and they're not able to follow the air as best they can. So there's this delicate balance between following my own path and doing no harm. I don't want to impede another person's ability to follow their intuition, their path. Because if I slow them down, I'm slowing the brain down. But also, if I just follow along and I don't use my own intuition, then I'm also not contributing to the richness of the brain, the the part of the brain that I am. I'm a node in this network, and if I'm not trying my best, if I'm not competing, essentially, then... I'm not propelling us towards higher and higher good. There's a perspective that, as I started flying in paragliding competitions a few years ago, I realized that the analogy I made was with traffic. I'm, if I pat my own back here, I'm a really good driver. I have, as a professional athlete, I have a pretty high-level spatial awareness and timing and can manage those things on the fly. Where I live, here in Bend, Oregon, we have all of these roundabouts. And roundabouts are amazing intersections. They're a great way to... They lower crashes and they're very effective at getting traffic through. But they hinge on each person's ability to balance this dichotomy of going when it's your turn and not impeding other people's way. Like, when it's your turn, you need to go. And you also don't want to impede other people as they are passing through the intersection. Typically, or I guess statistically, I've heard that America has the most lines, signs, rules, and laws about its traffic um, the most of any country in the whole world. It makes sense to me. I've traveled all over the world, not all over, but I've traveled a lot and have driven a lot in other places, and I would attest that that is exactly true, that we have the most lines and signs and rules, and what this ends up, what it ends up looking like is, or I think more accurately to say what it feels like as a driver here, is that the social norms And the taboos of driving are very, very strong in America. They're very strong. And it's a very interesting thing to to notice. In Mexico, say, where I've traveled extensively for the last forever, you can kind of do things more just like sensically. Say, if it's late and there's a red light, you kind of come up to the intersection and you go through the intersection. You don't sit at a red light 
waiting for it to turn green at night, it's, there's no point. It's essentially just a stop sign then. Here in America, people are very reluctant to do that. It's also, in Mexico, if you're a slow car, you're going to use the shoulder of the road and to allow traffic to pass you more easily. Where here in America, you keep it between the lines until there's some kind of passing lane or slow vehicle pullout, something like that. How I experience it is people in America, when driving, have the wrong perspective. The perspective here is my right-of-way. It is, it is my turn, don't get in my way, you cut me off. I think this is the wrong perspective to have with traffic because what is happening in traffic should not be competitive. It should not be a me versus you thing. It should be a collaborative experience. It should be a collaborative collective intelligence that we are all trying to make traffic flow as smoothly as possible as opposed to me just trying to get through traffic. You can imagine that if in a roundabout, say, that people were these two different mindsets, this my turn versus our traffic, the my turn would look like people honking and cursing and road rage and people driving too quickly or people cutting off other cars. And the collective intelligence version would look like cars slowing down to let each other in, cars not being abashed to pull into the flow of traffic. And as a car pulls in, the car behind them uses their brakes, the car pulling in uses much more gas, and the collective perspective changes everything. If you are thinking about being a node in a network, trying to make traffic flow more efficiently, your experience of that is radically different. You will not honk, curse, or have road rage. Obviously, there are incidents in driving where people do things that are negligent and put our lives in danger and it's understandable that that can create a response of anger and frustration but the amount of road rage that we have of just basic traffic and cars moving around on the roadway is disproportionate to the amount of flagrantly dangerous life-threatening decisions made on the road how this analogy applies to my paragliding experience is that this my right of way and my competitive desire to be at the top of the stack it makes us all slower (laughs) essentially it makes us all slower because 
the perspective, the proper perspective should be that I want to fly my best so that it rises the tide that rise that raises all ships, right? Raises all a rising tide lifts all boats. So I want to make myself as fast as possible and efficient as possible. Both so that I am competitive, but also that it contributes to how well the brain flies. If the brain is made up of a bunch of beginner paraglide pilots, you can imagine that it has a limited ability to be an effective hive mind, collective intelligence brain, and will take much longer to cover the course. Whereas if you have the world's best 100 pilots, you can imagine that that brain is going to work really, really well to cover the course very quickly, to be very efficient, to work in harmony, even though there is comp- there is competition in it. Even though people are going to be vying for position, and sometimes pretty aggressively so, that aggression is not personal. So, I guess my hypothesis of what is the relationship between competition and cooperation? Well, it's this delicate balance here. I am, of course, trying to make my way through traffic, but I also want to behave in a way that makes traffic flow more freely, more smoothly, more efficiently. That means that when it's time for me to step on the gas pedal to get my ass out into the intersection so that I don't cut the other person off, then that's what I need to do. Because if I sit there to not cut them off, and I am just impeding the traffic behind me. So it's this delicate balance of when do I aggressively go and when do I need to wait so that I don't cut people off. And yeah, it's an important thing to think about. It's a delicate duality here. So, the perspective of this paragliding brain and traffic is essentially has has lit off a deeper inquiry in me which looks more like how do I live my life in a way that rises the tide for all ships? How do I live my life in a way that rises the tide for all ships? And as I think about that, it makes me think that I need to listen to my intuition relentlessly, hone my ability to interpret it, to hear it. I need to become very sensitive to my own dharmic path, to what is my gift for the world and how to give that gift every day in the most potent way I can. We're all raised to be pretty sensitive to social norms and taboos. And very few of us are raised to be very sensitive to our own intuition and the calling of our souls. 
understandable, but also tragic. Obviously, it's not to say that I think that we shouldn't have any social norms or taboos. Those have a place. But the sensitivity to our own soul, our dharma, our path, our gifts, needs to be radically increased. Radically increased. It's also worth noting that in a paraglider, when you're flying cross-country or in one of these races, you basically are on an invisible race course, so you can't know where the air is going up, you can't know where it's going down or where the wind's blowing really hard. There are certain ways to know that, I suppose. Things like paraglider, other paragliders or birds or dust or um, clouds. But a lot of the time we don't have any of that, so it's very difficult to go out on your own. It's much easier if you go with the brain, with the hive. You can't split too far off of this thing. It is so incredibly rare in paraglide racing that someone does their own line all day and wins. That doesn't happen. The winner usually takes the lead and people follow him and they work together to make themselves as fast as possible and then there might be one or two decisions per day that separate the winner from second place. Even the people who win don't do it alone. This is the reality that in the Western world we've had an overemphasis on individuation and it has created a culture where we actually think of ourselves as individuals as opposed to having a really embodied sense of being a node in the network, being a part of the hive mind, the collective intelligence. Competition versus collaboration. It's a really interesting thing to think about. What are the ways that I compete in the world that actually help? And what are the ways that I compete in the world that are net negative? Because I want to push myself and I want to achieve and I want to succeed and learn and grow and change. But if I do that at others' expense, if I do it in a zero-sum way, then I'm actually slowing the brain down, and I'm actually lowering the tide. And that might help me in the short term, but it hurts me in the long term. So, the temporal nature of our own success has to be held in pretty close view as well. In paraglide racing, if you try to just dart off to the first turn point, the chance that you just land out by yourself is pretty good. You kind of have to have other people. You have to be thinking about the long game. And usually what happens in the race is that we think about the short game and we all fly together for a long time and then there's one moment in the race where it's time to race and we all race to the last turn point we race to goal and that's a 
radically different experience, you know, working together collaboratively all day, while also somewhat competitively, and then to race to goal. There's, we're holding that temporal nature of the race in our minds, where it's, we're kind of playing the long game. It's also the nature of a paragliding competition is we do seven days in a row of paraglide racing. And so you have to hold this longer view in your head. The There's an intellectual community that I'm a part of that has been coined Game B. Game B. And Game B refers to game theoretical dynamics in the world. Game A is the world that we currently live in. It is zero sum. It is I win and you lose. There is a scarcity of resource and uh, finance and opportunity that we all compete for. And if I get it, then you don't. This creates races to the bottom, like um, using exponential technology to extract linear resources at an exponential rate, like oil or the fish in the ocean, where we used to use lines and reels, and now we use mile-long dragnets to pull up everything, including all the dolphins, the whales, the fucking turtles, the whole fucking thing. We just dump it onto a ship and kill what we don't sell and sell what we do. That's game A. Zero-sum, competitive, rivalrous dynamics. It breeds all kinds of disinformation. It breeds... Um, advertising into the way that it's shaped these days and so much negative shit from this rivalrous dynamic. This is to say that this is the fixation, the obsession with our own competition. It is, this is the quintessential, it's my turn, don't cut me off, um, me versus you, rivalrous human dynamic. And game B is a space in which we investigate the shape of society and our own lives that would create not just non-rivalrous dynamics, but anti-rivalrous dynamics. Um, incentive structures that make rivalry obviously detrimental. Because our rivalry that we currently have is obviously detrimental because we've, we're fucking killing the ocean and the atmosphere and all of these different things. And we have a massive inequity of finance, opportunity, lifestyle, quality of life, huge inequality, right? So it's obvious that this game A is extremely detrimental to us, but the externalities of it, the manifestations of those negative effects are obscured by the temporal reality, right? Like the, the time base. It's like the oil companies get to profit off sucking the oil out of the ground and releasing the carbon into the atmosphere, but th that's an externality that just gets pushed off onto the collective. And Game B thinks about ways that we can actually internalize our externalities, like take those long 
difficult to understand effects and bring them back into the system so that we can account for them to make it anti-rivalrous. It is a way to theorize the future of human civilization, evolution, cooperation here on Earth. And so this paragliding competition this last week made me think of this perspective change. Because it seems to me because two years ago I went to the same paragliding race and I tried so fucking hard to win. I tried so hard. There was one day that I just, my first task, I flew for five and a half hours. It was the longest flight of my life. The the flight is supposed to take less than two hours. And it took me five and a half. I was on a slow glider. It took me five and a half freaking hours and I fought and fought and fought. So much of it, I was totally alone. And when I landed, this puff of wind came and blew my glider onto a blackberry bush, which is just totally covered in thorns, and I just burst into tears. This time in the competition, I thought to myself, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a node in the network, and there are going to be days that I succeed, and there's going to be days that I fail. We can't all win every day, and so just playing my part on whatever day, you know, whatever, what if, whatever my day is, if it's my day to win or if it's my day to land out, then I'll just play that role happily. Changed my experience of the competition pretty radically. I felt more centered. I felt more open. I felt more loving. And on the very first day of the competition, 10 minutes after the start, I landed. And everyone kept flying. And I wasn't that bit out of shape about it. And that's actually something I'm pretty proud of. For the next six days of the competition, I didn't land out. I made goal every day, which was wonderful. And another thing I'm quite proud of. That perspective change that I've embodied over the last couple of years is, or that I'm trying to embody anyway, seems to be working. And I guess one of my other hypotheses is how can we bring that kind of perspective change where we more responsibly hold the duality between competition and cooperation in our heads and in our lives and in our choices professionally, familially, in our friendships, our relationships. So many of our relationships are poisoned with power dynamics and how do we fix that? How do we operate in a way that is anti-rivalrous, not just non-rivalrous? Um, there's another amazing thing about a paragliding competition. So, as we're all flying around, there's no just there's no like big loudspeaker or air horn that goes off to to mark the start of the race. There's no gun at the beginning. There's also no buoy in the sky that marks out where the race turn points are. All of these things we put on our flight computers. So we all have our little cell phones that we can see all day, and it marks the 
race course for us and we all agreed on a certain start time and a certain start cylinder and we can't cross the line until that time is up. So as that time gets closer and closer, you see everyone vying for position before and then at the moment that the course is open, we all try to cross that line as close to that time as possible. Imagine that you're at a big concert and the place is just packed and the band is just crushing it and everyone's totally tuned in and everybody's dancing to the same song at the same time and they're having this shared experience. They're tuned into the same frequency. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing, and these paragliding competitions have a huge essence of this as well, because what we're doing is we are agreeing to having a shared experience. We're agreeing to play by the rules and to start at the certain time and to do the certain turn points and to record it all on our GPS so that we can turn in our GPS track log at the end of the day and receive a score and a time. And this is so cool because imagine that <laughs> it's, it's different than a concert because the concert has loudspeakers that are playing to everyone at the same time. Right? We can all hear that. But here in the sky, it's invisible and it's silent, yet we're still tuned into it. We're still agreeing to have this shared experience. And we also have this kind of nonverbal agreement to work together. We have this etiquette of the gaggle where you're not supposed to do certain things and it's better to do other things. And at the same time, you still want to try your hardest, but you don't want to cut people off. You don't want to crash into each other. You don't want to scare each other. So it's this beautiful shared experience. And if our perspective is right, then this shared experience can be something that contributes to all of our lives being better, to us having surreal experiences, to us following our dharma, our intuition, listening to our souls more sensitively. These are all such beautiful potential outcomes. And there are so many things in our life from as exciting as a paragliding race to as mundane as traffic that if we could change our perspective, it would help us embody the type of humanity that would take us out of the game A bullshit that we're stuck in that's killing us and take us into the game B, the anti-rivalrous, more connected, more equitable future that we all, that our hearts know is possible. It's a big ask. But I think that the way forward is chipping away at it, at changing our perspectives inside of our experiences. It's a really beautiful thing. I hope this rant was legible, coherent, and I appreciate you listening. Consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash airy in the air. Share this with your friends. Maybe leave a review on iTunes. At any rate, 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.